in the last days, there will be those among my native people who will possess this special knowledge. And then he said, the young white ones will come to those of my people looking for this wisdom. And so, you know, I, I read things like that. And I think if ever there's a time in the world that we live in today, uh, it's now that we start maybe looking back at the way the native people lived. We lived communally. I mean, it was never about, you know, my constitution gives me rights and you can't tell me what to do. Native Americans believe we don't have rights. We have obligations, mm -hmm. obligations to each other in our community. And so, you know, I just look at it and the way Native American people have look at the environment and our responsibility in the environment. There's so many good lessons of life that I think Native people have always possessed that I think we're just getting to a point in, in, in America that we need some of these things. We need some of these values injected into the capitalistic system that we have. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall, and I'm excited to welcome back to The Cultural Hall. Uh, he's straight from the dentist. It's Darren Perry. Now, if you want to uh, hear the original episode where we talk a lot about, um, well, uh, Native Americans, we talk about the Shoshone Nation. We'll we'll touch on some of that in this episode, but uh, you can find in the show notes or you can search uh, episode 324 of the Cultural Hall, if you want to find that out. Darren, welcome back to the Cultural Hall. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have, be back. You know, I know people, first and foremost, they want to know the dentist. Everything all right? Are we okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every, everything's good. So good, good. I, I made it back home. Uh, and then secondly, you know, I, I was poking around a little bit about you. I When we have people come back to the Cultural Hall, I like to pick up some things um, that have happened in the more recent past since we visited last. And I was interested to, to note that you, as well as a, a couple of other, oh, I don't know that I would, I, dignitary is probably the, the wrong word for it, but uh, individuals, uh, Native American individuals were a part of the Deseret Book uh, July 24th Pioneer Celebration. Uh, tell me about what that experience was like. You know, Desert Book sent me an email probably in April, said, hey, we have an idea of uh, putting on a program. If this is a place monument. <laughs> I had all kinds of thoughts. Yeah. And so and none of them probably very good. And so uh, a couple of emails later, we explored what that might look like. And and I come to find out that it was going to be stories, uh, the untold stories. Mm of pioneer day and i so that intrigued me a little bit and then i said who else did you invite and they said we invited invited the bonner family mm -hmm. and so from what i could tell everybody that they had invited were marginalized groups mm -hmm. and, and people of color and i thought well heaven yes i want to be a part of this if this is really what you're going to do and highlight some of these stories that are never been told. Uh, I certainly want to be a part of that. And so I thought it was a terrific event. Uh, they had so many great speakers and performers that uh, we normally wouldn't hear from on pioneer day. And so uh, I was just honored to be a part of it. You know, they said, you got eight minutes, give an eight minute talk. Well, how do you summarize the bear River massacre and, and and everything that went down there in eight minutes. But I think I did a pretty good job. I I got out everything I wanted to say. And it that event led to the invitation to do other events. Mm -hmm. And so where I could really get my message out. So I was grateful that uh, I think Desert Books kind of trying to be a little more uh, open and inclusive. And for that, I'm grateful. So. You know, you you bring something up, and uh, I I think that uh, this is the story of hopefully most people. We go into things with really great intentions, right? Like, hey, mm -hmm. we're having this Pioneer Day thing, and 
Darren, you, uh, you, you can represent the Native American people. So come on in. And I'm sure that, you know, that those things have happened to you before. You mentioned some of those questions that you had about the thing. Uh, considerations. What, what, as people, I think certainly as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as we try and be more inclusive, especially as we reach out to Native Americans, uh, like how knowing that so many of us are ignorant to the the meaning of the words that we have when we, especially around you know Native American people and and the history and all of those things, how how can we best engage in that? Um, or do we just do it and then just apologize all along the way and make sure that they know that our intentions were good? I don't mind that way. I mean, there might be other Native Americans that mind that way. Mm -hmm. But I, I just tell people, you know, if, if you're truly interested, and, and I hope you are, I hope there's some kind of spark there, you know, with the Internet at our fingertips, we, I mean, we have eight tribal nations within Utah. And I'm sure somebody lives geographically within an area or has a favorite tribe or somebody they want to, you know, I think tribes are way more easier to engage with today. They all have cultural uh, heritage specialists. And and I just say, learn as much as you can about a local tribe. And then, you know, and if you're genuinely interested, you can make a phone call and, and get more in, interested and, you can learn about events that they have coming up that you can go actually participate in and volunteer with. We had a tree planting at the Bear River Massacre site a few, November 4th. It was a Saturday. We had over 400 volunteers wow. show up. It was amazing. I mean, some students from the University of Utah paid for a charter bus to mm. get them up there to the site. So. I mean, I think there's a lot of little things we can do to learn about that culture uh, in a respectful way. But, you know, if if all of that flies over your head, just plow through and ask for forgiveness later. <laughs> it's it, it, funny you mentioned that because November was Native American Heritage Month. Mm -hmm. And I think I posted something on social media like uh, it's here's my prices to rent a Native American for the month. You know, if you want me to come to your house and give a land acknowledgement, it's 50 bucks. Uh, if you want me to do a land acknowledgement plus, you know, uh, a chant or a song or a prayer, it's $200. <laughs> and it just chronologically went down. And uh, so it was interesting to see the reaction. And I did it tongue in cheek for sure. But it's funny how because it's Native American Heritage Month, we all of a sudden take time now. Sure. That's probably the not not the right way to do it. Right. But, uh, yeah. I mean, it's just like anything, right? Like no one wants to feel like, you know, they're a project or like, oh, this is really important to us right now. And then next week we're going to be moving on to something else. Or, you know, we only yeah. care about, you know, uh, in February, we only care about black people in February because it's African-American, mm -hmm. you know, history month. Okay, great. Yeah. You know, and then we move on and it's another thing. I, I think that it's, uh, it's significant to be, to be genuine about it. And I think it's sort of a checkered past or a difficult thing. I think for members in the church with Native American people as well, because we're always like, well, we want to go share the gospel with the Lamanites. And that's still how I've heard it been shared in, <laughs> you know, in church settings. And I just am like, but what if we just, you know, got to know Native American people? Like, let's start, let, let's just start and maybe end there rather than it's a project that has to go, that's been foretold that we're going to, you know, make sure happens. Yeah. And I wish the early pioneers would have had that thought. Like, yeah. <laughs> these guys are Lamanites. Or, and we have a book of scripture that really prioritizes these people and how they're a covenant people and how they're going to play an important role. You know, some of those thoughts as they're colonizing where I live, the Cache Valley today. I mean, none of those thoughts were present back then. So, yeah, it's it's funny how we approach things today. You know, for some people that may be listening and haven't listened to episode uh, 324 that you happen to be a part of where you tell us all about the Bear River Massacre and then referencing what you talked about as the Pioneer Day celebration, 
I guess I would give you the impossible task of uh, sort of summarizing, not out of disrespect, but just out of, you know, um, concision, conciseness, so that people know what the, what the heck you're even talking about if they don't know. Sure. And, and I can do it pretty quick. I've gotten pretty good at it. But, you know, our people lived in this area for thousands of years, hunters, gatherers. We relied on the resources that Mother Nature provided. Uh, you introduced the Mormon pioneers in 1847. Uh, if if the first wave was all that came, great. But the next year, there's hundreds more. The next year, there's thousands more. And then they start running out of land. And Brigham Young in 1855 sends a man up here named Peter Mon. Again, a small group of saints to colonize the Cache Valley for good. This Cache Valley was kind of home base for our people. I mean, I... In the early days, we called it Sahivagoy, which means Willow Valley. Well, willows grow where there's water. You know, the it's a perfect climate. A lot of game and fish and seeds and berries and everything the Shoshone people needed. But now you have 20 pioneers. The next year you have 200. The next year you have 1,000. Hmm. And they're bringing their cattle. They're putting up fences, building homes. They're hunting the same elk deer bison that we needed their cattle are eating the grasses and seeds and what it did is it put uh, a, a large amount of stress on the shoshone people to the point that they had three options beg for food starve or steal and uh they got to that point the resources have been completely depleted we didn't know what any other way to live and so uh, i'm sure those three things happened but the saints in the area started writing letters to Salt Lake for somebody to come take care of the Indian problem. Long story short, those letters found their way to Camp Douglas. A federal judge issued arrest warrants for the three chiefs, Bear Hunter, Sagwich, and Pocatello. And, uh, but those arrest warrants found their way to Camp Douglas, Utah. Ironically, where my office is today at the University of Utah, I'm in a <laughs> barrack right next to the museum. And maybe we can talk about that later, but uh, Patrick Connor led his 250 cavalry north. And on January 29th in 1863, uh, they got to the bluff that overlooked the village. And then they made their way down the bluff and started firing their rifles and sidearms at my Shoshone people. At the end of the encounter, five hours later, we believe more than 400 Shoshone uh, were killed. Wow. Two thirds of that number being women and children. And so uh, if that's true, it's probably the largest massacre of Native Americans in the history of our country as far as something that was perpetrated by the U.S. Army in one fight. And so, uh, but it's a massacre that's largely been forgotten. And, uh, you know, that's kind of, what happened and and in a nutshell and uh but the survivors continued to adapt and thrive and so i am a descendant of chief sagwich he was my third great grandfather he escaped he was wounded but he escaped and then uh led the people from then on but that's pretty much you know kind of sums up what happened in a nutshell yeah. I want to take a quick break. When we come back in the second block, I want to pick up, uh, you mentioned largely forgotten, but there have certainly been some things in the most recent history that have tried to bring these out of obscurity to be, not only tell the story, but also to memorialize um, that particular uh, battle, that incident, that war, whatever we want to call it. Uh, we'll come back and we'll do that in the second block of the Cultural Hall. BestDJinUtah.com. You're right. It's a new ad. What? Well, it's been an entire season since I've recorded a BestDJinUtah.com ad. And well, the wedding season coming to an end at this point, but not really because what happens now is everyone who's going to get married in 2024 reaches out and says, Richie, is it possible? Do you still have this date? And I tell them, yes, hopefully. And then we get you booked. We'd love to be able to work with you. Uh, travel all along the Intermountain West. Some people call it the Jello Belt. 
Uh, you can go to bestdjinutah.com to request a quote. You can find us on any of the social medias at Best DJ in Utah, and uh, we can answer any questions. Affordable, yes. Over 400 five-star reviews, yes. Highest rated in the state of Utah, uh-huh, go on. It's bestdjinutah.com, and, and I'll give you a little hint. It, it also helps me to be able to do this, like financially support the cultural hall through that, and you get something in return. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, if you love this episode, you can always leave us a review or share it with a friend of yours. If you're like, man, a friend who's always giving me podcast recommendations, you need to check out this episode of the Cultural Hall. You can do it. Drop a link to this particular episode or just to theculturalhall.com. Uh, over like 750 episodes at this point. So you might as well start at the beginning and be able to enjoy all the content that's provided there. Uh, we appreciate doing that. And then obviously that makes it so that other people find and check us out and are able to hear this story. Now, uh, Darren, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, you know, in addition to this um, Pioneer Day celebration, uh, this in 2023 with Deseret Book, there also has been a memorial since last we chatted, uh, an actual physical, uh, uh, like, uh, marking or something at, at the place of the battle, correct? Well, what we've done, uh, we were one of the few tribes in the U.S. that was not moved to a reservation. And, and so we were one of the tribes without land. Um, the reason for that is is 10 years after the massacre, all of the survivors ended up being baptized into the LDS church. Mm. So uh, from 1873 on, the tribe's been LDS. Brigham Young wouldn't let us go to a reservation, so they created a church farm for us over north of Tremont, and we called it Washakie. The reason I tell you that is because for a tribe with no land, uh, and, and the church owned it. We don't own it. And they took it back years later. But for a tribe with no land, getting the massacre site was hugely important to us. And in 2018, we raised enough money within the tribe to purchase all of the Bear River massacre site, mm. more than 700 acres of that sacred space. Nobody was buried after January 29th. And so uh, those bodies still lie just beneath the surface. It was important that we get that so we can protect it, but not only protect it, but we can uh, tell their story in a way that honors them. And But before you can really tell the story of the people, you need to tell the story of the land. And I remember after we closed on the land uh, purchase, the next day I went to Utah State University Natural Resources and said, we just bought all of the massacre site. I want to return it to what it looked like in 1863 using my grandmother's plant diary as a guide. And so from that day on, and and I didn't, I knew I didn't possess the skill set necessary to see if we could do that. Mm -hmm. But after a few visits with professors, uh, all different kinds from different schools, we decided that we could absolutely do it. And so, from 2018 till, man, even today it's ongoing, we started a land restoration project at the site, taking out more than a half a million Russian olives. And last November 4th, the day we had that tree planting, we planted more than 4,000 cottonwoods and willows and mm. choke cherries and sumac and things that would have been there. With the goal, I think uh, someone said, I think Brad, my cousin, said, with the goal of eventually planting 300,000 wow. trees and willows and things like that. So 
we got a good start on it, but the land is completely transformed. Um, so when you go there today, it looks completely different. We're rerouting a, a small creek that the pioneers routed down the side of the road and made it a ditch. It was called Beaver Creek by us. They changed it to Battle Creek. But we're rerouting that creek back out into its original channel. We're reintroducing beaver into the ecosystem. We're just doing things to clean up the environment, clean up the water. We're putting more water into the Bear River, which should make it to the Great Salt Lake. And so, yeah, we're just completely transforming the landscape there so the earth can heal but also so we can eventually tell the story of the people. And correct me, though, if I'm wrong, isn't there now a memorial, something that someone can say, this is what occurred on this place well, in, at this time? There, There's always been a memorial since 1932. Okay. Uh, it's a Daughters of Utah Pioneers Monument right okay. off the side of the road. And I think what you might be referring to is that's always been there. The plaque they had is problematic. I mean, it's one of the worst I've ever seen. And it doesn't tell you really what happened, but we didn't own it. So, you know, how do you get them to change it? Uh, pretty stuck in their ways. But we did. I eventually talked them into leave your plaque up, but let's maybe put up a different plaque on, on the other side. Mm -hmm. And so in 2019, bless their hearts, they uh, we put up a different plaque on the backside that really reflects what happened in that vicinity. And uh, very grateful that they were open enough to be able to do that. And so today, when you go to that memorial, if you read their plaque, you don't get a lot of info. It talks about the brave soldiers and the pioneer women who took care of them after the encounter. Mm -hmm. On the backside of the plaque, it, it starts out by saying, here in this vicinity, more than 400 Shoshone men, women, and children were brutally massacred by the U.S. Army on January 29th, 1863. It doesn't matter what it says after that for me, because it really, for the first time, acknowledges uh, how many people died and the loss of life and who they were. So, yeah, there there is that memorial there. Further up the road, about a half a mile, there's a turnout that has seven kiosks where we actually tell our story. And it's from our perspective, our pictures that overlooks the valley. So, and that's been there for about 20 years. So, but I'm raising money to build an interpreter center on the site. So been raising money since 2018. And I think that might happen, you know, here in the next year or so. If people are listening to this and they're like, yes, I absolutely would like to donate to that. How would they go about doing that? <laughs> We have a website called Wuda Agua, W-U-D-A. Wuda means bear. Okay. Agua, O-G-W-A, means river. It's wudaagua.org. Okay. And uh, there's a website there. You can donate secure to a secured system. And uh, we've just been raising money ever since to, uh, to go ahead and build this. We just received a wonderful donation from the... Larry H. Miller and Gail Miller Foundation. So we're inching along and we should be there in the next year or two. That's tremendous. And I'll leave a link in the show notes so people can just click on, because I'm sure as people are listening to that, they're like, was that a you? A yeah, Wait, yeah. How do we what? You know, and make sure that we get that um, so people can just click on it there. So when you say interpretive center, I guess my mind thinks that it's like a a, a building, a permanent structure and people can go. There's maybe like a like a host or a, or someone, uh, a, a guide that will kind of go through everything or what, what will it be? Yeah, it's just, it's, it's a 8,000 square foot building that'll have things, you know, it's, it's, it's more than a building with things in it, Sure, but it'll be kind of a learning center where you can learn about the language. And uh, we're going to have a garden area that highlights the Shoshone plants. Uh, the exhibits will be changed out uh, seasonally to highlight where the Shoshone is, what they were doing seasonally, because we were in certain areas gathering pine nuts in the fall. Earlier in the summer, we would have been salmon fishing. So it'll highlight that cycle, cyclical hunting gathering lifestyle 
always on the move, always in places where the resources were abundant at that point. <laughs> and so it'll just be what I hope is a place of learning that people can come to and actually see the way the Shoshone lived and their culture, uh, kind of a glorified visitor's center or museum with things to look at and things to do and interactive things that kind of tell the story and highlight those people and their culture. Well, and I think it's tremendous. Uh, I also want to mention you've written the book, uh, The Bear River Massacre, A Shoshone History. And um, one of the things, excuse me, hang on. One of the things that uh, the description uh, and also reviews of that book have said is that you you definitely um, you uh, narrate a story or create a story of hope for people that and I'm curious to know what what that hope is because certainly the Bear River Massacre n- not too terribly hopeful is it a future that is hopeful is it a way to look at it that's hopeful what's the hope Yeah, it, it's it's really how to look at how you can look at it and learn from it for the future. I mean, I have a lot of angry Native American friends who are activists. They'll hit you over the head with this past hard history, but they that's all you'll get from them. And pretty soon you'll tune them out because, sure. you know, you can only take so much of, I know we, I know we took your land. I know, you know, but for me, it, it doesn't do any good. It, it I, what I've learned over time is it's okay to talk about hard history, mm-hmm. talk about the past in a way that uh, I don't beat you over the head with it, but I want you to learn from it. And mainly because so we don't do it again. But for me, the message uh, is always how can we learn from tragic events in our life and, and to be better, to be better as a community, to learn from those ways that you know, those ancestors of ours, they could have done it different. The pioneers could have absolutely embraced the Shoshone people for who they thought they were from their scriptures Mm -hmm. and made room for everybody. The tent was big enough, but they chose not to. And so I I just want to use the Bear River Massacre as a tool to learn. Look, we're all going to go through hard things in life. Yeah. Every one of us, if you haven't lived, you haven't had anything really hard happen you haven't lived long enough yet but how we respond to events like that will determine our character and for me it's it's all about telling the story uh it's taught me that uh, to offer unconditional forgiveness but it doesn't mean i need to forget sure you know and, it, and it's taught me that as we preserve history everybody's story is important everybody's story should be included, just not mine. I mean, I realize that my perspective comes from my Shoshone family. And and for me to just sit here on my high horse and say, this is the way, this is the truth. What I want you to get out of it is this is our perspective. Learn what your pioneer ancestry perspective was, and then one day you'll be able to make a good decision mm-hmm. on what you think went down. Uh, I'm not here to tell you what's right or wrong. I'm here to just share perspectives. And when Winston Churchill said that history is only written by the victors, you know, that makes it really clear how we've learned past history and who gets to write it, who gets to memorialize it with statues. And and all I'm trying to do with the, the book and other things is say, hold on. We haven't really heard from the Shoshone people yet. Let's hear from them, and then let's have a conversation about it. And we should be able to have a, a decent conversation where, you know, we're, we're not on our defenses, and I, there's no blame or guilt. I'm laying at anybody's feet. It's just a perspective of how we felt things happened. One quick, really story. I took. I meet a lot of school buses at the massacre site. Mm-hmm. And we were standing there one day by the Daughters of Utah Pioneers Monument, and there's a tree, an old tree right there that people hang things in. I call it an honor tree. Dream catchers, ribbons, teddy bears. They do it to honor those who died. And 
I was there with some fourth graders from Edith Bowen Elementary, and one it was dead silent. And one of the boys in the class said, I see a mirror hanging in the tree. Why do you think there's a mirror hanging in the tree? And, and I was stumped. I had no idea. I was trying to come up with a clever answer to tell this kid. <laughs> but I, I had nothing. And so a minute later, a girl in the class, fourth graders now, she said, I know why it's there. And I said, what do you think? And she said, it's there to remind us that we did this. And if we don't learn from past history, we could do it again. And that came from a fourth grader on that cold morning that I'm standing there looking at this tree. And and things like that give me hope, hope for the future, hope that these future kids, these generations that are going to live long past us, you know, can look at things differently and accept each other for who they are, not their color, their skin or who they love or anything else. They can start opening their minds to other ways and and certainly build bridges that uh, sometimes we as adults have a hard time building. But I think there's lessons from hard things that we all go through that we can learn that actually will make us better. Yeah. Uh, I want to take another quick break. When we come back, uh, I want to talk to you about uh, running for uh, office and uh, and what that was like and and. He's not in office, so we know how that ends, but we'll get into some of that coming back in the third block of the Cultural Hall. Hi, friends. Dan, the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop, and they start at only $29 a month, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. Just check us out at PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, remember you can become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall. Just go to Patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. And we tell you that it's a way you can put your money where your ears are. You like what we produce here. Uh, it's a great way to say thanks and to help it continue into the future. Theculturalhall.com forward slash, or no, the uh, patreon.com forward slash theculturalhall. That's how you get there. Or you can find it at theculturalhall.com. Now, uh, Darren, I know, uh, I know that you do not represent Native American people as a whole. But I do think that it is significant to note that, and I've heard others say this as well. Tell me if you agree or disagree with this statement. But sim similarly to um, like the civil rights movement of the 60s, that in the last 20 years, it seems that, um, I don't know, the, the do is the right way to put it. But it certainly seems like Native American people have... Um, there has been, I don't know, uh, uprising seems far, far too dramatic, but it certainly seems like we are paying more attention to uh, Native Americans in this country. We certainly see um, we see more in the news about them. We see uh, monuments uh, dedicated to them, people serving within, um, you know, uh, government appointed positions, elected positions, all of these kind of things. Is it, is it sort of a, um, a, re, a resurgent? Is it about time? Is it what's going on? <laughs> it's all, it's all of that. And, and I have a few theories. So uh, I agree with you. I think native Americans today are being honored and looked at in a different light than before. Uh, and so, I mean, for a group of people that have been tried, you know, they tried to, to wipe us out when that didn't work. They tried to assimilate us, kill the Indian to save the man. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's been all these different kind of things happen, but how adaptive and how resilient uh, Native people have been over time. And so, but if you're LDS, this shouldn't come as any surprise. And I'm just talking about the true believers of the LDS doctrine, these people are uh, covenant people. And it says in their book of scripture, the Book of Mormon, that the Lamanites will play a prominent role in the last days. And so if you look at it from an LDS perspective, you're going, yeah, this makes sense to us that they're gaining uh, maybe a bigger role or, mm -hmm. or in society today. But, you know, I... I gave a lecture yesterday at the University of Utah, and I quoted 
a dream that Crazy Horse had. And he's talking about our day and time, I believe. I think Crazy Horse was a prophet. I think he could see right before he passed, he had this dream and he wrote it down. But he talked about a sick world, of a world filled with broken promises and selfishness. Hmm. And he said, in that day, in the last days, there will be those among my native people who will possess this special knowledge. And then he said, the young white ones will come to those of my people looking for this wisdom. And so, you know, I, I read things like that. And I think if ever there's a time in the world that we live in today, uh, it's now that we start maybe looking back at the way the native people lived. We lived communally. I mean, it was never about, you know, my constitution gives me rights and you can't tell me what to do. Native Americans believe we don't have rights. We have obligations, mm. obligations to each other in our community. And so, if, you know, I just look at it and the way Native American people have look at the environment and our responsibility in the environment. There's so many good lessons of life that I think Native people have always possessed that I think we're just getting to a point in 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 America that we need some of these things. We need some of these values injected into the capitalistic system that we have. And so uh, it's not surprising to me. Uh, I'm glad Native Americans are being highlighted more today. And I hope I can play a small part in a little bit of that. But we've just got to, we can't have a chip on our shoulders. We can't, we just got to look at the past as the past, learn from it, and then ask the question, what can we do together to make this world better? Because I don't know if the path we're on today is sustainable. I, I just don't know. Hmm. And I see it even here locally with our own leaders and the water, how they want to build more dams and take more water out of the Bear and Weber and everything else, which would dry up the Great Salt Lake, which can't isn't really an option. Yeah, but can't. I, I just don't know how you can have it both ways and so just because we can develop and deplete and extract that mountain over there doesn't mean we should and maybe we ought to start asking ourselves those when we when we look to develop something start asking i know we can but should we hmm. and what ramifications will it have down the road you know the iroquois they didn't make any decisions without considering what effect that decision would have on seven generations ahead. I'm not advocating for that, but I'm <laughs> advocating for let's start making decisions, you know, that will benefit my children and grandchildren. Yeah. And cause we don't, we are so into short term profits. Let's develop this and move on without thinking about the consequences of what we're doing. And I think injecting values, Native American values, into the decision-making process was actually what's going to save this country. So is that is it that that drew you into politics to run, uh, or it was it a um, like a uh, you know seeing yourself in part of prophecy and you know issuing in the second coming that you need to be a part of the leadership what was it that <laughs> that made you go here we go let's do this well a lot of a lot of little things like that but it was it was right before covid shut everything down uh a good friend of mine named larry echohawk mm -hmm. uh, appointed by president to obama to be Remind yeah, he was the assistant secretary of interior. Okay. But then after that, he the church called him to be a 70. So he, he's been in leadership in the earliest church, but he called me. He's a Native American Pawnee. Uh, he was the attorney general for Idaho, BYU law professor, Obama administration. A great career. He called me and took me to the Red Iguana. And <laughs> that should have been the first sign that, you know, the gig was up and and we talked about being a good uh, example to other Native American youth. And and I think he, we talked a lot about what we just talked about, this Native American value system 
and how the world needs it more than ever. And to me, I really had never thought about running for Congress. I'd never aligned as a Democrat or Republican. Rob Bishop stepped down. There was like 14 Republican candidates that wanted to be take his seat. I thought, well, I've never done anything with the Republicans. I can't just throw my hat in on the Republican side, even though I knew to get elected, you'd have to be a Republican. Sure. And, and so I threw it in as a Democrat and against one other girl. And look, I was way more center than she was. But I was I won the primary and 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 went up against Blake Moore. I absolutely knew what the odds were of me winning. But it was so important for me to just share this indigenous value system in land stewardship, in public lands, and and whether we need to be drilling everywhere we can because we can. And so, you know, there's some things democratically that kind of line up to, you know, those things about land stewardship. And so, you know, I made a case to be a Democrat. I think the Democrats hated me. I wasn't Democrat enough. You know, we hear from the far left and the far right, you know, the 10 percenters on both sides. That's who everybody hears from. But I wasn't one of those. I was way more central. And um, and I won't ever apologize for that. But I probably won't run again. I, I have no interest in running again. And my wife, I don't think, would let me run again. But it was absolutely a great experience, you know, prepping for debates on TV and, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it gets your attention. And so uh, I met so many wonderful people during the process, too, that I never would have met. But uh, I just wanted to be a good example and I wanted to give people a choice, a good choice. Mm -hmm. I look at the presidential elections today and I'm going. Those are the two best candidates we have in America? Yeah. Seriously. And I think, you know, what's what's wrong with our system? And and I think, you know, Blake Moore is our congressman today. I text him every day, well, once a week, and thank him for him being there and me living here in the Cache Valley doing what I do. Because there's no way, you know, I don't know how you get things done back there. Well. They don't yeah. really, <laughs> but That's yeah, they, they don't have to, they don't, they don't do it. Yeah. I'll I'm take sure the loss and all that. And I'll take my life that I've get built here. I teach environmental humanities at the university of Utah. I, I just have a really good life. I get to lecture all over the country and I hopefully build Native American resiliency in these communities. So uh, a couple things that have, um, sort of struck me, uh, and I want to make sure that we get to to both of them, um, but but I would be curious. They're sort of big questions, but hopefully we can kind of keep it concise as to what you think. You've mentioned a couple of times, and I've taken note of it, that, you know, uh, Native American people have a, a considerable reason to be angry over the treatment that, that they've received, over the neglect, over the, you know, all of the things, Right. And uh, I, I guess I would wonder, you know, you're able to speak to some Native American youth who fully understand what existed to their parents or grandparents or great grandparents, etc. How do you advise them to not forget, because that's not what you're saying to do, but to be able to forgive and to be able to look for a brighter future? You know, that's a tough thing. And, and, and the reason I say that is, you know, Chief Sagwich. Everything I've read about him said how what a peacemaker he was, a bridge builder. And I think he understood that dynamic of you're not going to get very far making them angry and tuning them out to your cause. And so uh, I, I think I'm wired more like him. But my grandmother, Mae Timbimbu Perry, we have all of the history today because of her. Uh, yeah, she was the the most the greatest woman of, of her time, but she was angry. She was a angry activist and she would do it differently than I do it. Mm. But I, I just think we're at a point in time in our country and especially so in the last six, seven years where civility is, 
completely gone off the edge of a cliff. And so I, we've got to be able to look each other in the eyes and be able to disagree and, and get it, you know, talk about certain things. And I just, I, I talk to a lot of elementary kids and junior high kids and leave them with that message is, you know, we're, we're so much better together. Doesn't mean we have to agree on everything, but man, how, how boring would it be if we were all the same? Right. That to me is insane. So let's celebrate our differences and, and look for ways that we can be, because I think we have so much more in common than we don't. And, but we don't talk about that. We talk about the things that divide us. And so I just encourage our youth and others to look at people and look at the similarities we have and then look at our common goals and, and try to work together, acknowledging we're going to have differences, but uh, work for the common good of the community at large. What's funny, and I'm LDS, I'm a sixth generation Shoshone Latter-day Saint. I mean, and when you go to the temple, uh, you covenant sometimes to live the law of consecration or live the, you know, certain ways we're going to live in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, if you look at that, I mean, that's communal living. That's all of us being pretty much the same as far as resources go, working for the common good of the community. And and I'm going, well, yeah, that's how Native Americans live their whole life. Yeah. No concept of personal property. Everybody worked towards the common good of the tr- the, the whole community. My grandmother always told me, your community is only as strong as the most vulnerable within your community and so everybody rallied around people that had needs and so till all those needs were met and man we don't live that way but our church teaches that doctrine and i'm thinking to myself the other day i thought i wonder how many of my lds friends when asked one of these days can flip the switch Mm. to to give up their side by sides and (laughs) five thousand square foot homes and four cars and you know crazy yeah. crazy things to live this communal lifestyle again and you know it's just nuts to me that uh, what we think our needs are so it, that that leads me pretty well into the second question that i had and um if something like this doesn't exist i hope that you will create it but um for for someone that would want to know more about um I mean, you sort of reference like the the reverence to the land and the communal living and all these different things. Um, is there like a uh, a resource resources um, that people can go to to kind of learn more about that? Obviously, I as a very white Anglo person, I'm not I can't become Native American, and it's not a conversion yeah. thing. But if I wanted to learn more about that to study that you know, that sort of belief way of thinking. Are are there resources for something like that? Yeah, I think there are. And I mean, the library behind me yeah. are full of Native American wisdom. And I think there's a lot of books out there that speak to c- certain things. And with Google at our fingertips, I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's easy to find resources from Native American authors. I think that's pretty important. Uh if you're just getting into this, I would suggest Robin Wall Kimmer, okay. Braiding Sweet Grass. That book is my Bible almost. It's called Braiding Sweet Grass, but she's a Potawatomi citizen, but she's a PhD in botany. Hmm. And she weaves together this beautiful tale of indigenous wisdom and our stewardship towards land and how we look at it with science. And I mean, it is the greatest thing I've ever read. And I've got like 400 sticky notes coming out of this book from quotes and things of how we how we treat the environment and stuff. But I think there's a lot of good people out there. But I would look for indigenous authors that are kind of telling their story. We tell stories. Native Americans teach values through stories. And so... Uh, the, the nice thing with that is it's a beautiful way to learn. Yeah. And you won't ever forget when you hear a story. Yeah. You'll always forget facts and figures, though. So. so sure. 
Um, well, our time is just about up. As you may or may not remember from the last time we chatted, there are three questions we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. And so I'll ask those of you right now. The first question is, is do you have a calling currently? And if so, what is it? Yeah, I'm the ward uh, missionary. Okay. My wife and I are ward missionaries. How is that up in Cache Valley? Pretty good? Pretty busy? Yeah. The funny thing is I moved up here down into an area at the south end called Avon. I have five friends that live down here. I've known them years and years, and I thought they were all great active members of the church because they're good people. Mm -hmm. I get down here, and they're all inactive. <laughs> so I'm going, well, that's kind of weird. But you don't have to be active to be a good person. That's the lesson I learned. Sure. You can be a great person and not go to church. So... So we're working on it. Yeah, working on them. That's what I <laughs> that's what I wondered if you were going to say. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Oh man, if I could uh I love primary. I have always loved primary. They always put me as a gospel doctrine teacher. I wish that wasn't the case, but I would I love to interact with those younger kids. And the younger the better. Do you ever teach uh, like a fifth Sunday lesson about Native American mm -hmm. or anything like mm -hmm. that? People could reach out to you and absolutely and coordinate something I, like that. That'd be I incredible. do a lot of that. Cool. I've cool. gone through quite a few. So, yeah. I've done sacrament meeting talks too, uh, which, yeah, I've got a really good one that I gave in my ward about a month ago. That it's different than normal sacrament talk. For I sure. Love that. I love that. <laughs> um, and people, if people wanted to reach out with out to you, ask you a question or to try and have you come and speak in their ward, how would they do that? Just uh my email. Uh-huh. It's uh Darren D-A-R-R-E-N dot Perry P-A-R-R-Y at Utah dot edu. Perfect. So people can reach out to you that way. Uh, the final question that we ask everyone, uh, we asked you before, and your answer may have changed. But the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? Oh, I can't I can't remember what I said before. and You don't need to tell me, but I uh, the favorite part of my faith would be the the part that gives us agency. Agency is a big deal to me. And and so, yeah, I, I just think ha having the ability to make our own decisions and learn and grow is, is the greatest thing about our church. And having said that, I, I feel like sometimes our church squashes that agency sometimes. And and, and maybe that's a bad way to say it, but I, I feel like the, the culture of our church, mm -hmm. you know, take I, I shouldn't say the church, but the culture of the church especially here in Utah, uh, can take some of that away and, or make it feel like it, there's less. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I appreciate it. And again, all the uh, books and references to various episodes, those things can be available in the show notes. Make sure that you find those and click on those if you want to learn more about Darren and his great work, be able to donate to that uh, interpretive center and all the other things that are going on. Uh, Darren, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week. And that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety in the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat on the back row.